the pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. It's John DePietro on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, you can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. It is Tuesday. It is March 30th. I want to draw attention there's a story in this morning's boston globe where they cover rhode island the rhode island section of it how rhode island's takeover of the providence schools unraveled before it really got started what is um what's amazing in the story which written by dan mcgowan who we talk to each week is how just how far apart things have have uh, become and broken apart and now the the latest on this is the union with the providence teachers union which has now seen a a state takeover, but now they not only have they had a vote of no confidence in the education commissioner and the superintendent of Providence, they then announced yesterday that they, they don't want the state to be in control anymore. They want it to go back to Providence. Well, that's too late. No one in the state house is stepping up. Uh, yesterday, both House and Senate both said, you know, no, we're not we're not doing that. And the Governor McKee said everyone needs to come to the table. But they have spent, as I've you know, reported, more than 300 hours since the contract expired at the end of August of last year, 2020. But in recent weeks, it's really fallen, fallen apart. Now, some of you may remember on, on August, excuse me, on March 4th, I asked the education commissioner, if this were a nine-inning game, what inning are you in? And she said, oh, we're in the ninth inning. Well, I mean, now they told the Globe, the education commissioner, it's about control for them. They've been, never been there for the community. They're feeling very stressed out now. The superintendent, Peter, said, we're not anywhere. We're just not anywhere. And a big part of this has to do with hiring and seniority. The way the union contract is, is when a position is open, it has to go to a senior person, regardless of ability. So if you have someone who's great, it will be great in the role, and they're 30 years old, you can't hire them if there's someone who's been there longer who's maybe 35, 40, 45 years old, what have you, but they've been longer, you have to hire the senior person. Now, folks, as you know, I mean, picture, and and I recognize it's different, but just imagine if Bill Belichick, if when he's going to play the game, he has to put the guys on the field that have been with the team the longest. So if someone's a rookie or someone's been only there one or two years, they can't, nope, they can't play. And if you go back to staying with the Patriots, under that guys, when when Drew Bledsoe did heal after he got hurt, nope. Tom Brady goes back to the bench and Bledsoe comes out and he's your quarterback because he's been there longer. I mean, we know that it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in the private sector. This is a huge point of contention within the contract. And how bad has it gotten right now where the union wants to, all right, forget it. We don't want the state in control of this. The reason they don't want to is because seemingly the state has more control over the contract and, and basically they want to make major provisions to the contract. But how, how bad is it right now when they're meeting, according to the Boston Globe, when they meet uh, and they meet apparently twice a week uh, at the union headquarters and they have the mediator there who's former Supreme Court Justice uh, Frank Flaherty, Justice Flaherty, he's now acting as the mediator. They meet twice a week in the union headquarters they have to sit in separate rooms and former state Supreme Court Justice Flaherty has to walk back and forth to present present proposals. That is unacceptable. That is unprofessional. This never should have been tolerated. What, what message does this send to students? The two sides, Infante Green, the education commissioner, and Superintendent Peters, they have to sit in a separate room from the teachers union people. That shouldn't be allowed. Okay, that's a failure right there. If you can't sit in the same room, have you ever heard of anything like this, folks? Why? What's what's the matter? Are they going to come to fisticuffs at the table? I mean, is that how just things have broken down in such an infantile, unprofessional manner? And I'll tell you, you're still seeing some of the problems. First of all, that shouldn't be tolerated. It should be, listen, you're sitting in the same room. And if you're not going to be in the room, we're going to start making changes. But if you are looking for an example of who has failed and how did the Providence teachers contract in the schools get to the position that it is in providence school board president nick Heyman, and what did he say he said nick Heyman, 
who is Providence School Board president, who I don't even know what that means since, since they were in the middle of a of a state takeover. He is functioned liaison between union and management ever since the state took control. He said, you know, both sides need to be more reasonable. He considers the union to, quote, be good partners with the district. What um, what would be considered a bad partner? You have one of the, the uh, fourth worst school district in the country. Uh, Wall Street Journal described it as education hell, nightmare. Uh, they can't even sit in the same room with the people they're trying to negotiate. And he describes that as, they, you know, they're good partner. What would be a bad partner, Nick Kevin? See, he needs to go. He said, you know, they're not going to sign off on drastic change overnight. Well, it's certainly not overnight. It's 300 hours later. How many years? This is going on over two years now. This thing has dragged on. If it's revolutionary change, that's going to have to happen in the courthouse. So go get it done. Then it is. You're not going to change the entire school system, fix every problem with one contract. Well, you're going to, but if you keep the one you have, you're not going to make any, any improvements. Change happens incrementally. No, it doesn't. No, if the ship is sinking, change can't, you can't fix it just a little bit at a time. You need a complete overhaul. This is an overhaul situation. What a quote from the Providence School Board President, Nick Hemmen. Hemmen, he, uh, the union are good, good partners. What would be a bad partner? What would be classify in his mind of a good, of a bad partner? This foolishness needs to come to an end because it's an expensive. And again, I recognize you're listening right now saying, John DePietro, I don't live in Providence. I don't care. True, except we pay for it. It costs huge money. And it is holding back the state. There are different companies. They want to relocate, but their their employees want to live in the capital city. And many of their employees, many companies, their, their employees believe in public education. So they want to send their children to the Providence public schools. And you can't do that when it's listed as the fourth worst in the country and described as from the Wall Street Journal as an education nightmare. So uh, they need changes to come in quickly. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Mega Logistics, they're there to help you. Give them a call today, 401-431-2300. MEGA, Mega Logistics. If you have freight, you need freight, goods, third-party brokers for your company, warehousing and transportation. How about custom freight, supply chain management, routing, bill auditing, customer developing, proven track record with Fortune 500 companies, you can depend on MEGA, MEGA Logistics. Call them today, 401-431-2300. 401-431-2300. Does that sound like your company? Maybe you have freight or you need freight goods, third-party brokerage, warehousing, transportation, custom freight. They have the experience. Call them today, MEGA Logistics, 401-431-2300. Have you been thinking about updating your website? Do you have questions about how to get the most out of social media for your business? Would you like a free consultation from a local digital marketing professional who has been doing this work for 23 years? Contact Karen Etchells at Innovast Digital Marketing. Karen will help you better position your brand on the web to engage visitors and get results. She's local and responsive. Call Karen Etchells at 401-321-2799. That's 401-321-2799. Or find Karen on the web at www.innovast.com. It's spring and time to call J.K.L. Engineering today at 401-351-7600. J.K.L. Engineering, licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. You know, pretty soon it'll be warm. It'll be hot. Why not have central air for your home? Call J.K.L. Engineering today, 401-351-7600. Remember, with J.K.L., estimates are free. Financing is available, both residential and commercial. In the wintertime, JKL, they can reduce your oil bill by as much as 90%. It's going to be a hot summer. Call JKL Engineering today. Be nice and cool in your home this summer. Call JKL 401-351-7600. For 54 years, JKL's reputation, second to none, especially for technical expertise and customer satisfaction. JKL they do it right. They do it right the first time. They're an approved National Grid VPI installer. JKL is also a Navient certified factory dealer called JKL 
for a system replacement, oil to gas, or for a heat pump. Estimates are free. Financing is available, both residential and commercial. Call J. Kale Engineering today. For Light for Rhode Island and Massachusetts, 401 351 7600. 401 351 7600. It's J. Kale Engineering. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, which is dePietro.com. It's time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining me, he is the managing editor, OceanStateCard.com. It's Justin Katz. Justin, I'd like to start off. We, um, I believe in the next couple of weeks, uh, sometime soon, we're going to hear who the state's new lieutenant governor is. Uh, where this lays off of the last we heard, there's now a top five. The top five will get an interview with Governor McKee. Uh, top five, the names are kind of the names that have been bantied about a little bit. You have the Providence City Council person, Savina Matos. You have the former mayor of Central Falls, James Diosa. You have Grace Diaz, who is an elected representative also from Providence. You have Lou De Palma from Middletown, who's a... Uh, in the General Assembly, and then you also have this woman, uh, Liz Barrick Perrick, who's uh, uh, <clears throat> she's uh, non-Latino, uh, in and I, I'm not sure, but she's just a Democrat fundraiser. Uh, what do you make of the process? And um, do you have any reason to believe it's not going to be the result that we have been expecting? <laughs> no, no reason to believe that. And in fact, that's that's pretty much my opinion of the process. I mean, it's been pretty predictable, I think. I mean, it seems like you could have just basic political assessment early on could get you to the probable answer. And nothing has happened to really change that impression. It looks to me like uh, Governor McKee had the admirable uh, goal of making it seem like a, a at least like a, uh, a, a legitimate uh, position finding uh process and in reality it's just a political calculation with a bunch of trapping so i mean it's it, it seems like that, i mean that's my cynical view of it is that this is pretty much foreordained these folks are going to i mean the, the large number put in applications almost in vain almost like a gag people trying out for the voice or something uh, or american idol uh then you had the the narrowing down to the 10 which seemed again just a like a reality show going through the motions and now we're to the five and I'll all get to talk with McKee and it's a, ostensibly there's some, uh, <laughs> some chance he'll just be wowed by somebody somehow, but uh, that seems pretty unlikely. And that's probably not unlike a lot of job searches, but this one happens to be happening in the public view. And so I think we'll, we'll learn more about what the, what McKee is like than anything, depending on the outcome. What does it say? <clears throat> the three of the top five, uh, first of all, well, obviously all five are Democrats, even though some other people did go for it. But what does it say that three of the five, uh, how do you interpret that? Grace Diaz, James Diosa, former mayor of Central Falls, and then, and then uh, Spina Matos, the three of the five are uh, Latino. <laughs> but I think one of the most refreshingly honest statements I've seen on this came from Dan McGowan in the in the Boston Globe, where he, he said he had the pros and cons for all of the various five candidates. And the con, I think the only con, the only negative under uh, Lou De Palma was he's a white male, <laughs> which which I think, I mean, tells you about all you need to know. And it's it's a pretty sad statement on, on where we are right now as a country. Uh, but that's, I mean... The, the Democrat Party has gone so far into legitimizing this idea of identity politics, anti-racism, yep. all of that. Really, you have no choice. I mean, you white men aren't welcome. And if, if they're going to be picked, it's going to be either by some quirk of the political winds or because they're just so meritorious that you can't say no to them at this point. And so I think that's, that's what it comes down to. And I mean, the only other non-minority uh, although some people will count women as a minority as well, uh, is the Elizabeth Beretta Perrick. And that would be, if, if she were to get the nod, that would, to me, seem like a, an indication of uh, McKee 
looking for kind of the Raimondo path to the federal government. And I, I don't think, I mean, he's old enough and locally focused enough. I'm not sure that's where he wants to go. Uh, so I'm not sure why she's even in there at this point. So it really, I mean, he's, he's hedged it around as it's, it's gotta be a minority and whether it's, whether it's a, a man minority or, or a woman minority that, I mean, that's what it comes down to. And I want people to clarify. And again, folks, our segment is politics this week. You know, in some ways, this current movement that we're in, um, well, Biden was the one that announced, I'm going to pick a female as my VP. And then as we went into the summer, because of all the protests, it suddenly became, I'm going to pick a female of, co- of, of color who's going to be my, my VP. Justin, I kind of liken it, and not everyone is up on this, by the way, but I kind of liken it to the old game when your kids have rock, paper, scissors, such as, you know, there was a time Liz uh, Barrick, uh, What's her what's her full name? Barrick Pezza Beretta Barrick. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and no disrespect to her. But there was a time that would have seemed like, oh, okay, you know, there's there's the choice. But the way that paper can can cover rock, or the way that rock can break scissors, what is she she is trumped by is someone who happens to be Latino. And then even within that, uh, even though you may think, well, James Dios would be a good pick. Actually, then Sabina Matos, Grace Diaz, they then Trump uh, or like the way that rock can break scissors. They then are stronger than that. You know, what's interesting is, and as you just said it, if he actually picked Lou De Palma, I think people would be shocked that he's picking basically a white male. That would think of that, Justin Katz, right now in 2021. And this is not just a Rhode Island thing, a controversial pick would be if he happened to pick another white male because he's a white male. Right. Well, I mean, that's and that's has to do with what they call the long march through the institutions. I mean, the, the yep. progressives now they've been they've been brainwashing kids in colleges for decades. They've moved on to elementary and middle and high schools. They're in the corporate boardroom now. They're they're throughout the media. You can hardly find a news story that isn't tilted left especially in Rhode Island and so it's you know that's where it is they set the terms of the debate they tell you what will be controversial so if you if if McKee picks a you know a a competent professional uh who who is popular in a part of the state where McKee himself is largely unknown uh who has experience legislating as who's an engineer that's a controversial move because of the color of his skin. I mean, that's yeah. how racist we've become. Uh, but that, yeah, that's where we are. And whereas Grace Diaz, I mean, I, I don't have anything. She's been a, an okay legislator as far as I could see and a friendly person. And I, I don't know much about her professional background, but there's nothing, there's nothing that makes it obvious why she's on the list except race. And that's, that's a terrible terrible yeah. way to be constructing our our government or even our society i mean i i hate even yeah. having to think of it in those terms it's ridiculous yeah but it can't be ignored and what people need to understand and i also recognize especially i think that with this lieutenant governor selection process it, to me it clarified that some people are not aware of where we have now reached it is all about optics now it's also about optics and it's also about uh, Governor McKee, his his plan to try to win the Democrat primary next September and feeling that someone like Sabina Matos and or uh, Grace Diaz could help him in Providence, which is so crucial. But I really saw it where, you know, there was someone I think on social media that thought, well, I think Brendan Doherty would be a good choice. And I kind of laughed at that. Like, oh, what? You think he's going to pick another white male? Like, that's never happening like that. I fully there's no way that that would happen. And then, you know, early on. It was a, a young white male Republican from Cranston that actually thought he had a legitimate shot. And you kind of to me, it, it's like some people don't get it yet. They're just that the game has changed. It's about optics. And it's also about strategy and fairness, because um, <clears throat> that's also why Anastasia Williams made the top 10. It, it also has to do with so he feels, I believe we're going to find out, but someone that he thinks can help him win a Democrat primary, which is different than winning a. A general election, uh, because the Democrat primary is so reliant on trying to win in, in especially in Providence, but Providence, Pawtucket and Central Falls. Justin Katz, speaking of that, how do you think Governor McKee is doing now? I know they like to say we're only, you know, three weeks and almost now going into four weeks in the job. I'll go first. I don't think he's out there enough. You're right. He is still an unknown. I don't think 
his team or he realize how difficult it is to break through, you know, the, the, the cloud of reaching people and the people, you know, so they know who you are. Because even his briefings, he doesn't do, he does less than a quarter of the talking at the briefings. He has too many people on stage to me. I recognize they can say it's a pandemic, but I I also noticed, you know, when Governor Mundo used to do the Facebook of the COVID briefings, I noticed she'd have like 2,000 people sometimes watching her page, watching her. I, I'll monitor his. His will be under 300. So I don't think, you know, different parts, you mentioned like, you know, Middletown or different parts of the state. I, I We pay attention, but I think most people still don't have a clue who he is or anything about him. No, I, I think I think you're right on on that. I mean, the, he should take the lesson about what we were just talking about. The reason it's so hard for him to pick Lou De Palma is he's a white male. Well, guess what? Dan McKee is a white that's man. Right. And that's he's going to face that exact same thing. Trying to buy off uh, progressives, yep. trying to buy off the unions is not going to work. It's sort of like we've been talking about for a while now with the uh, education commissioner. Never quite got still probably it seems hasn't gotten the the message she needs parents out there advocating with her it's the same thing for mckee he needs to be out there and you know he started with the he's been pushing for small business so that would definitely be nobody would call him a hypocrite or cynical for continuing that that's a great opportunity he could leverage that to go in every community and get to know people and make the make the support for him in the state so broad that there's no way you know the white male thing just won't work to defeat him uh but i i have i think beyond being on the stage and giving press conferences that's really where he needs to be concentrating he needs to be going town to town doing and and talking to small businesses and and getting finding those communities of support that are kind of everybody's reeling right now so they they would definitely be appreciative of it at this time so i think that would be a much better use of his time rather than you know standing on a stage giving more covid instructions or even within the early weeks you know going around the Providence area with Matos. I mean, he needs to, sure, he, he needs to win a Democrat primary, but, you know, maybe try going around the whole state and, and building up a statewide support, I think is going to be important for him, especially given the rolling identity politics. Um, I, I don't understand their strategy with the COVID briefing because Governor Mundo left with just, it had fallen down to a 40% approval rating. And then he's standing on stage with her people. I mean, if anything, what, what do you what people should like? They added to her 40 percent approval rating, Dr. Scott and, and uh, Stephen Pryor. I have no idea why they're on the stage with him. Dr. Scott uh, totally botched the rollout. Stephen Pryor, I, I, you mark my words that he won't be here by May 1st at the latest. What I don't understand, Justin Katz, is why is he letting him announce what's reopening? That should be Governor McKee announcing, you know, so that you get, oh, you know, people get excited of the reopening. Why do you have Stephen Pryor announcing that? He's not going to be here. That guy's, he's out of here. A number of people are going to be out of here. But anyhow, it's his briefing. All right, quick break, folks. A lot more politics this week with Justin Katz right here on the John DePietro Show. While the pandemic rages on, you need to stay healthy. You need to take care of your health. You need to stop in and see Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland, right across from Davenport Restaurant. Call Marie. I call her the Queen of Health, 401-305-3585. You've seen her store. It's right in that old white church. It's My Health, because, folks, it's about your health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Shop local. Stop it and see Marie. What do we have? Well, vitamins, herbal remedies, trusted companies, one understand quality, integrity, local products like the incredible acai berry. She also has honey, maple syrup. Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland, right across from Davenport Restaurant, has over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices that can be purchased by the ounce, plus box herbs and teas. The service is the best plus hemp and CBD products, plus massage therapy, reflexology, Pilates. Folks, stop it and see her. It's my health because it's about your health and staying healthy and children's vitamins. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. You can call her at 401-305-3585. Stop in and see Marie. And it's my health. 
1099 Menden Road in Cumberland, right across from Davenport Restaurant. Because remember, it's your health. Stop it and see Marie at It's My Health. Have you been thinking about updating your website? Do you have questions about how to get the most out of social media for your business? Would you like a free consultation from a local digital marketing professional who has been doing this work for 23 years? Contact Karen Etchells at Innovast Digital Marketing. Karen will help you better position your brand on the web to engage visitors and get results. She's local and responsive. Call Karen Etchells at 401-321-2799. That's 401-321-2799. Or find Karen on the web at www.innovast.com. Spring is here. Time to contact Bethel Certified Softwash. You can text Jared a free estimate at 401-617-2585. Bethel Certified Softwash. They have a great website. It's RhodeIslandSoftWashing.com. Outside your home, let's get rid of the grime and the stains, maybe some of that, that green algae and moss and mildew that build up over the course of the winter. Call Bethel Certified Softwash today. Again, outside your restaurant or your home or a roof or a deck or a patio or a walkway, it's Bethel Certified Softwash. Remember, it's biodegradable. It's plant safe. Look for them on Facebook, Bethel, B-E-T-H-E-L. Their Facebook page, the before and after, are just tremendous. Contact them today for a free same-day text estimate, 401 617 2585 401-617-2585. Again, remember, they have a great website. It's RhodeIslandSoftWashing.com. Bethel Certified Soft Wash and Power Wash. Our segment is Politics Politics This Week. We're speaking with Justin Katz, managing editor, OceanStateCurrent.com. Justin, let's talk about the Providence schools. Um, I know that they're having a press conference. The teachers, they took the vote of no confidence in the superintendent, uh, Commissioner uh, Infante Green. Now, in fairness, I do want to roll back the clock. In 2019, John Hopkins' report came out May of 29th, May of 2019. Last year was the pandemic. We're into 2021. That summer, the education commissioner, Infante Green, she did have a series of meetings and getting trying to get, as you've been saying, like the parents' support. But let's face it, that was almost two years ago. Then you had the complete lockdown. I think now that it's gone to, um, you know, mediation with uh, former Supreme Court Frank Flaherty, I, I just I don't know what what took them so long. I mean, they already went through supposedly 300 hours. What I was told was in in the first they would say the first inning of negotiations, you could see that they were on opposite sides of the world. Um, the, the question I've been hearing is, why did it take 300 hours for you then to call in a mediator when when they they should have been in after the first day when you knew like okay so this is really going nowhere fast well yeah i mean that's one of the frustrations you you, you come into and part of this understandably I, I think we have to remember uh infante green came in under raimondo who was trying to heal things up with the union yep. so she could move on that's to right. uh good, to national stage so that was pressure on the education commissioner but somebody coming in here with any sense of have of the needing to change i mean you don't get that kind of a report you don't become known as one of the worst school districts in the country uh for for no reason and so somebody like that it's got to come in and, and with the idea that we need major change here and it shouldn't take anybody past second grade that long to figure out a key reason we are in this position is this super powerful teachers union that's calling the shots. Yeah. And so you, whatever your opinion on unions, if you want to help children in Providence, you need to know this is a, this is a, an opponent you're going to have to battle. And I think she, she gave the impression again, probably under the influence of, of Raimondo of wanting to work with them and see where we can move, make some things move, move this log jam. Sort of like that giant ship that's now in the Suez canal, right? How do we get this thing out of the way? You know, where really you've got to say, and we just need to blow this thing up and let the other boats through. Uh, that's my opinion, but not, not Suez canal. I'm not advising that, but um so I, I think they come in with this idea that they're going to 
there's some way some somebody just isn't seeing how the log jam is and they're going to be able to find that and they let critical moments pass we're now two years on i like that, that outrage, it is like the sewers that, kind of, that's an excellent excellent <laughs> metaphor yeah, well, I mean, some some big powerful thing blocking away, and nobody's afraid. Everybody's afraid to yes, blow it up and I like that. damage it. Uh, but the uh, but we're now two years past. I wonder if, and this is this is ultimately it falls on the parents and the people of Rhode Island. I wonder how many people even remember the outrage right. of that uh, of that uh, report. We're now between COVID and time. We're now they've just the union has done what it's, it does. It it dragged heels. It applied pressure, and everybody's kind of all right. Well, this is where we are. We need to figure out how to deal with it. And so it's going to come. We're good, there's going to come to another crisis, another another test. Maybe maybe when pe- kids start going back and we get start getting more test results and stuff, and we, we see how much ground we lost during COVID, uh, that maybe that will cause it will spark another crisis that maybe um, a key driven state government will have a little bit more of a, a little bit more chutzpah, a little bit more willingness to push where it needs to be pushed and, and just break through this, this problem. But I, at this point, it's, it's, it's almost like his hiring of a Lieutenant governor. It's just a show, you know, you know, you know, the result, there's nothing's going to happen. They're just at this point to me, if you, if you're letting the unions drag you on this long, uh, in Providence, after all of that national attention, you're you're just trying to find a way to not fix anything that makes people think you're fixing something, and you get another ten years, yes. five to ten years of of the status quo, and that that's it's such a shame. But it, ultimately, again, it comes down to I mean, I'm going to put a lot of blame on on Raimondo uh, for her her egotism and, and career search, yeah. but most of the blame. Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, falls on the parents and, and all of us as a community, not not willing to do what needs to be done. Well, no, wait a minute. I'm not taking any accountability. You and I <laughs> would point out, you know, someone that negotiates with them said you can never listen to what they say. You have to watch what they do. You and I were calling them out for those. Remember the photos and the media goes along. Oh, look at this. It's a broken chair. The school is leaking. You had a member of the media. They won't let us in. Um, it's, it's They play long game. They drag out. He said, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. It's it's hurdle. It's obstruction. Now they've already lost Ramundo. It's coming up on two years. Um, and, and, and also what what people don't realize is that they they actually don't want anything to change as much as they come and say, we're all in this together. We want to improve it. Let's face it, Justin. It's two years later. They have the vote. No confidence vote on her. We don't know if she's staying now. Because with Governor McKee, he could say he wants his own education commissioner. Um, they should have moved much more rapidly uh, when the state did the takeover. They should have moved much more quickly. And instead now it becomes court battle. It becomes, you know, uh, file this, file that, drag it out. They'll just try to wear it down. And then now you have the politics involved with, um, you know, he's up for reelection. What does he do? Does he really want the battle with the teachers unions or is he gonna they'll probably tell him you know we're having an open mind maybe we'll endorse you i don't think they have they have any intention but it is sad and one other thing i i want to mention is um you know one of the things that john hopkins pointed out and governor Armando said this a lot of companies that want to move in a lot of their employees want to live in providence and send their kids to public school in providence it's kind of a progressive mindset but that's reasonable you can't do that in Providence the way you could maybe, you know, in some other larger cities. Um, and the other thing is, <clears throat> you know, this week, everyone's been focused on how great Mary Ellen Goodwin and she introduced some bill about colon screening. And yet what it also does is no one mentions the fact she's the one that led the way to put a moratorium on charter schools. And she's a Providence person. She should be called out on that. That should have been like talk about a betrayal, you know, a moratorium on charter schools. But instead, they do a shut. No, no, no. Look over here. Look at, you know, she's introducing this legislation because she battled it. She got a standing ovation. And, you know, it, it's amazing to me how how easily people are fooled like a magician of like, look over here while I pull the, you know, the magic, the hat out of my trick over here. Oh yeah, well, I mean, and there's there's just so much money in it's we're in this confidence game that we call a government, this scam. I mean, it makes me think. Of, I, I the other day, last week, I got a, a giant glossy 
postcard from the America's Federation of Teachers uh, saying with big smiley face of, of my representative over here, uh, Edwards, he can stop the expansion of charter schools. And you know, if you're just a oh, Joe wow. Republican, or not Joe Republican, Joe resident, you're going you're gonna to take out this card, you're going to see the smiley face and a wow. nice yellow and blue color scheme and go, oh, yeah, well, we better stop those charter schools. They're taking money away from the public schools. You know, it's just, there's so much money in it. There's so much, it's, that is what the state is run on. And it, as you say, you, it's incremental and long game. It's here's here's a person who's a Mary Ellen Goodwin. Let's distract with this her experience with the disease. So we're focusing on that and not on this bill. At the same time, we're carpet bombing the state. Uh, and, and I'm starting to look into the campaign finances of this. These postcards that go out in favor of of legislators don't seem to be reported anywhere. Um, but the they that's uh, that's just the way it's done. There's there's just everything they can do to push it toward their their ends which is always you know their financial gain and their power and that's where we are and it i i it does blow my mind that people are so easily distracted as you say you know before we take a break um i also want to get your thought now the democrat party announced that kate coin mccoy um she will now play the a major role within the democrat party a couple interesting things about that number one i have followed her career for 20 years i moderated the beat uh, when they were running, she ran for Congress and uh, lost in a in a primary where that was the uh, race that Jim Landrin, I believe, ran in. But she, she this is someone she was with Mirth York. She's one of the people that contacted Gina Raimondo, got her to run for office. She's a very longtime progressive. She is an AOC, Bernie Sanders. Uh, they used to call themselves liberals. Now it's progressive. Justin, the fact that she's being tapped, number one, <clears throat> I'll say this about her. She plays chess. She doesn't play checkers, this one. She is very smart. The media loves her. The media is also afraid of her. Um, this is, to me, it shows the direction the party's going, but this is also another sign. This is not good news for the Republican Party because basically, to me, she doesn't even consider them competition. Her endgame is to basically rid the party of any moderate Democrats. This is someone you can't pick someone. She's of the ilk of like a Sam Bell, Aaron Ruggenberg, the farthest left you could go, that type of progressive. Oh, yeah. I mean, I my my Kate McCoy story is uh, early on when when Raimondo was running for treasurer, McCoy. Uh, Kate, uh, Kate was Kate involved with McCoy. that. Yeah. yeah, it's a tongue twister. And she and I were on. Uh, Rhode Island Public Radio's oh. political roundtable at the same time. And before it went on, I don't know if she didn't know who I was or whatever, but she was chatting with uh, the reporters there. And obviously she's on their side with everything oh, yeah. on her side. And uh, she's talking about how uh, how exciting it was to have a progressive Raimondo. Her, she's Catholic, but she's pro-abortion. Her name ends with a vowel. Uh, you know, just, it was just, it was very educational to me, which and has yeah. colored my way of, of any time anybody, oh, Raimondo's, you know, relatively moderate. Yeah. I don't know about that, but I, I think you, I think you're exactly right. I mean, the Republican Party has nothing really to fear from her. I mean, oh. she says we're trying to win up and down the ballot. Well, what else is there to win? You yeah. know, at this point, Republicans win almost in a fluke. There are a couple pockets maybe you could squeeze them out of. I doubt she's even going to spend much time thinking about that. No. It's those it's those moderate to conservative Democrats yep. who who are really have to worry. They really have to start to ask themselves because they've they've sat back incrementally as the progressives and the Democrat establishment have squeezed out every. Everybody, Republicans, et cetera, et cetera. And at some point, you know, those those Democrats who every now and then I'm sure you hear from them, too, when you bump into them in the state house, they go, oh, well, I'm really in another state. I'd be a Republican. I'm really on your side. Well, you know, you're going to have to start thinking of how you're going to triangulate that one now, pal, because this is they're coming for you. That's yeah. you are all that's left for them. That's before right. They've got a complete takeover. Folks, quick break. A lot more. Justin Katz, managing editor, OceanStateCurrent.com. Our segment is politics this week right here on The John DePietro Show. Ever in an accident, someone hits your vehicle, it's damaged in some way, pick up the phone and call West Fountain Auto Body, 401-272-3340. They're located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. Folks, as you're riding along, you just never know. You could be dealing with a drunk driver, someone not paying attention. How about the people texting and driving? If you ever damage your vehicle, call West Fountain Auto Body, 401 272 3340. Several reasons. One, they'll handle everything for you. Two, they're going to work for you, not the insurance company. 
And three, they'll make your car. It'll look like it just rolled out of the showroom. West Fountain Auto Body. Call them 401-272-3340. Did someone damage your vehicle? Whether it's a small fender bender or nearly total vehicle, West Fountain will restore your vehicle, get it back on the road. Call them today, 401-272-3340. And remember, if you're having an accident, first thing you want to do, call the police, fill out a police report. If the tow truck shows up, tell them, let's get this vehicle over to West Fountain, 401-272-3340. If you've been thinking about updating your website or if you have questions about how to get the most out of social media for your business, you could receive a free consultation from a local digital marketing professional. And she's been doing this work for 25 years. Contact Karen Etchells at Innovast Digital Marketing. She will help you better position your brand on the web to engage visitors and get results. She's local and responsive. Give Karen a call for a free consultation at 401-321-2799. That's 401-321-2799. Or find Karen on the web at www.innovast.com. Listening to the John DePietro Show, folks, weekdays, we start at 11, we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, which is dipietro.com. It's time for DePietro Debate. Uh, joining me is one of my siblings. She is a writer columnist for the Sun Chronicle. It is Donna Perry. And DJ, I want to start off with, um, let's start off with last week was the much anticipated Biden press conference. Uh, a lot of thoughts about that. I, I'll just start start off. I mean, I, I know some people, they set the bar low for him, but I found it, um, I mean, think of that. That was him rehearsed. That was him rested. That was him in some ways, like top of his game. And um, boy, he is, and it's nothing, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but he is an old 78 years old. Yes, <laughs> and very, very good to join you, um, J.D. You know, the thing is, as you say, it, however they try to arrange things, I think it is very apparent to anyone, uh, and you don't have to have a medical degree, or, or and you're not trying to be just mean, John. I mean, he just, everything about it is there, he has reached a point for whatever is the background reason where he... He definitely has a very small time limit of being able to keep concentration and bring in information um, and certainly, you know, kind of handle a room of a lot of questions, especially when they're not all just adoring and friendly questions. So, you know, uh, a lot has already been reported on it. Um, But I just think that there was a lot that was kind of... pardon me, in a kind of an embarrassing display for what passes as should be journalist questions. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, when you look at the talk about the lead off with Yamish Alcindor, and it was sort of like this praising statement. It wasn't even a question. It was saying, you know, well, you're just such a decent um, and moral man. And she was equating with that's the impetus for you know the migrants coming to the border now she was famously always hostile at odds with trump and so you know i think they're all very conscious that trump watches all of these things play out so it's almost like they want to put their finger in the eye of trump and and for that to be like a lead off uh and then so that kind of it's almost like they're playing with him like they're like communication staff for him some of the reporters so uh, I think it's it's not a good representation of how the media and so that you have a lot of these journalists. So, you know, they, that's how they view their role is they're almost advancing this Democratic president. And I think um, and the way Biden, the other thing I thought was notable, though, J.D., and this goes to why he's been overly coddled by so many members of the press, because I thought the best questions came from. Uh, actually like Univision and there was a Hispanic reporter and she was pretty tough and she was saying the truth of what's going on at the border. Uh, and he really bristled. And then when she said, so, you know, we have kids crowded in these holding pens and, um, it's not sanitary. It's the holding way beyond the legal limit. Uh, so that's satisfactory to you. Now, the tone of that question was very typical of anything Trump would have ever gotten right yeah 
and he and Biden, like you saw that little shade of the old Biden where he got pesty, you know, a little testy with her and said, Oh, come on. Like, is that a serious question? And like, as if, you know, I thought that was very revealing of how he has been coddled by a lot of the press. He expects no one would imply he's doing something for an alternative reason or not doing it well. Um, So I thought that was quite revealing. And the other issue, um, I, I think that I forget which one brought it up, though, is that they have a real problem. And I wrote about this. The, of the transparency at the border problem. I mean, they are, and the fact that he muddled through whoever asked, it might've been um, uh, somebody at NBC, but he muddled through when they were pointing at it and saying, so when exactly are you letting the press see all parts of it, especially the border facility holding places um, where as we speak, JD, there's thousands and thousands pouring in, Every day. So yes. this didn't stop at last week at the press conference. You know what I mean? So and all that stuff. So and the thing is, he gave this very odd like, oh, well, you know, once we get things sorted out. Well, that was a way of saying, well, once we get it like in a way that you can't see how bad it was looking, you know, right. I mean, it's just obvious. So I think it was Kristen Walker from NBC. Yes. Now, Donna Perry, the the uh, Biden White House, they were upset that he didn't get more questions about the pandemic. And apparently and I guess the, in, in high, the, there were no questions about covid. Um, what What is your thought on that? Because, I mean, we get so much information about it. I don't I don't know. You know, if you're there, I don't know if you're going to get any new news or there's any real questions about it. So they may have wanted right. that. And the chief of staff liked uh you know, they had someone that, you know, put on Twitter or Bayou. Imagine that. No questions about COVID. So they were obviously seemingly prepared him for that. And he had his cards there. Um, but what did you think of that, that there were no questions on COVID? Well, I think from the White House's point of view, they, they saw that as the victory lap kind of thing. Yes. Because he's trying to, like, that's their talking point. And they work right. very much this way, Jen Psaki. It's very much about, here's what we're discussing today. It's like, well, you know what, that's not really actually how news should work. Um, right. And reporters are not supposed to be cooperating like their little press secretaries on that. And I yeah. thought the reason he didn't get the question um, well, here's again to their own way they've mismanaged this, J.D. If they had held this on February 1, they right. would have gotten the questions Correct. about the vaccine rollout. And by the way, he would have had a, a little bit of an edge there. And he could have talked about, oh, we're, you know, we're setting up these federal testing sites and, you know, and all that stuff. Not well, 64 days in. Yeah. So they yeah. that's their fault. They waited till the end of March. Um, And again, you're the president. It's your on your watch. A lot of things happen the longer you go in. And what were they going to ask and say, gee, how excited were you that the, uh, you know, two trillion dollar bill passed (laughs) that? I mean, really, like what were the it's it got through Congress. It's out in the country. They got all, you know, two trillion monies out there. Um, Vaccines are an achievement of anything about the pandemic. The vaccines are the victory story of this country right. at this point when you compare yep. to the rest of the world. So yes, I don't know, you know, how many more victory, like applause questions can the media do? And I think they, you know, anyway, he's got a lot on his plate. They didn't get to a lot of that. Um, and like we say, you know, I think COVID is moving toward its conclusion, despite some of the other hysteria that goes on. Which, with the, which we're going to touch we're on. Touch but on. I also want to... I think yeah. we saw that's why they held him back. I'm yep. not sure when we're going to see him do another one of those. I have a friend of mine who was saying, you know, if, if he were a doctor, I don't think they'd let someone operate. And then, again, not trying to be mean, but you would not put someone in his current physical form. Um, I, I don't think you'd put them in charge of a company right now. Uh, right, you would right. not. He just happens to be the president and they're handling him and uh, managing him. One last uh, note on that was Caitlin Collins of CNN got a lot of blowback. Now, if that had been Fox or someone else, but what do you think of her asking uh, if he anticipated that Kamala Harris would be on the ticket with him? She got um, the, some of some of the left wing were like, how dare someone intimate that a woman of color, Kamala Harris, wouldn't <laughs> be on the 
the ticket. What would you, hey, it was CNN that asked it, but what would right. you think of that? I don't think that, I mean, in fairness, I, I don't think that's on a lot of people's minds, but they were trying to say that he made news by announcing he plans to seek re-election. But what, what would you think of that? Well, I think the origin of anything with Caitlin Collins is a way to, all roads have to lead back to Trump. Because she, yeah. she, this reporter uh, who came out of nowhere, she's young, she made her name with like fighting with Trump. And I, if yes. you notice, she almost seems not equipped to operate almost without mentioning him after every 10 words. So, yep. you know, she, she is the one that sort of always interjects Trump into it, it seems, because CNN thinks that's how they get a rise out of the audience, I think. Um, and so she asked about the reelection. And I, I don't think that's, I mean, if we have reached the point where Kamala Harris cannot be viewed in an objective way, stand right. on her own two feet, you're this, you're the vice president. And I don't think she should be coddled more than anyone else. I mean, um, you know, he selected her. She's in a very big role. She's going to have to sort of prove that like anyone else would. Um, I don't think there should be blowback that it was asked and and that's very common that you say would you keep the same ticket um also the fact though i thought his well he contradicted himself as we saw in the exchanges so first he kind of said yes then he said oh who knows what they're doing an hour from now or it right. was like an odd and again jd that's where you see the senior moments he has it is coming in and then he kind of bumbled around on it and said, I would expect to. And then I would expect she would run with me, which maybe she didn't like that. Right. That's in politics. I would expect is like gives you an open door to change the plan. I don't know. Biden struck me as he's the type and you hear about it, but someone he goes down to his basement and says, now, what did I come down here for? I mean, that's how he. (laughs) <laughs> Seems, but Donna Perry. Before we take a break, Kamala Harris, and it's something we've touched on. She has it's a bad habit. She's not a young woman. I don't know if they could be broken, but she has this habit of which she starts laughing whenever she either doesn't know what to say or gets uncomfortable. And it came out yesterday. I sent you the clip mm-hmm. where she was laughing hysterically, discussing struggling parents who aren't able to send their kids to school. It, it's one of those things in this day and age. I, I don't know what they're going to do. If they don't identify that that's a problem, that she's always laughing, much like when she was asked, do you go to the border? Yeah. If she doesn't know what to say, she just starts laughing as if that's a way out. But yeah. it's, a, it's as I said, it's a bad habit. It, wow. It's, well, in politics, it, it's almost like a bit of a, and I want to say it's a character flaw, but it's like a fatal like instinct for her to it always is. be doing. You're right. She, I, I, And I think you're exactly right. I think she... When she either a doesn't like the question, she right. um, she also has that sort of attitude of, of of almost like how dare you ask me these lines of questions? I think, and so when that comes out, I think she's she's like mocking, sort of the tone of the conversation a lot. Yes, um, and in that cackling, laughing, it's oh. it's just so not fitting of the role. Yeah. Um, we, you, you know, you never saw Pence, you know, burst out into weird cackling over questions and, and you're right. Like she's done it on many occasions. Um, uh, very famously, uh, CBS Nora O'Donnell interview with yeah. the, like the one interview that was held right. before the election. Um, All right. so we're going to take a, a quick break. A lot more folks, Donna Perry, the Sun Chronicle right here on the John DePetro show.